We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. We're going to see three things. We're going to see, number one, his transportation. And then, number two, we're going to see his presentation. And then, number three, we're going to see his lamentation. Because look at verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches. John chapter 12, verse 3 says there are palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And you guys know what Hosanna means, right? Save now. Save now to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And so now they come near. It says there in verse 1, they drew near to Jerusalem. And they come to this place called Bethphage. Um, from what I understand, it's about two and a half miles uh, from Jerusalem. And uh, for those of you who have been to Israel, I haven't, but from what I heard, it's a spectacular view down there when you approach the Mount of Olives and then the Valley Kidron. And, uh, and so when Jesus and his disciples get there, he sends two of them into the village. And again, there in verse 2, and he just says, hey, I want you guys to go uh, and you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her and, and loose them and, and bring them to me. And it's kind of cool how he knows everything, what's going to happen, right? The whole situation. And he knows, you know what, if anyone says anything, this is what you got to say. The Lord has need of them. And it's really cool. He says, and immediately he will send them. So what ends up happening? It all takes place and Jesus enters into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. And so he comes in on a donkey. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because I think there's uh, some messages there that reveal our God. Reveal who the Lord is. And that's so important for us to, to make sure that we, as Christians, don't forget that we are theocentric people. We are not anthropocentric people. That I really believe that the victories of our life, the joys of our life, the peace of our life, is found not when we focus on ourselves, but when we focus on the Lord. You know, when we look at the Lord and we see how good He is. Now, I don't know if you have a friend like that, but is there someone in your life that when you, when, they, when you see them, I mean, when, when you're with them or whatever it is, that you just know they are so loving, they're so consistent. They, you know, they're just that, that type of person that 
You know, just being around them, it just lifts you up. You know, what a blessing when we have someone like that in my life. I know I could think of a, a few people, of course, my wife, my kids. I even think of a few other kids that just lift me up. Well, the Lord wants to be that for us. You know, and I found that, you know, all the struggles that you might be having um, can be rectified with a proper understanding of who God is. I was listening to a study yesterday by Pastor Chuck Smith, and he was telling about how he was talking about how he struggled with anger for a long time. He struggled with anger, and he said he tried, you know, to overcome it, and he tried to count to ten, and you know, he just tried all these different ways of overcoming his anger, and he just was constantly frustrated, you know, because he couldn't overcome. And so what ended up happening is he just instead of focusing on himself and, and focusing on his anger. He focused on the Lord, and what he found was that over a period of time, you know, he would look back, and he, and he discovered that God had taken the anger away. You know, and, and I, I don't know, I'm not going to oversimplify things, but I would like to say, generally speaking, that when your eyes are on the Lord, then your life will be what God intended it to be. Kind of like when Peter got out of the boat and he had his eyes on Jesus and he was walking on water. And, you know, think about that, walking over your circumstances, walking over the enemy, walking over the opposition, under your feet. But then when he took his eyes off the Lord, what happened to him? He began to sink. And that's right there, that's a lesson for us. And so that's why I like just studying the Gospels and, and looking at the Lord and seeing who he is and how he is. And I pray that that right there would then begin to penetrate your heart. And we all have different issues, and God will show us how to apply it. Now, it's been said that you can tell a lot about a person by their transportation. Does anybody here have a Harley Davidson? Is that a curiosity? Nobody has a Harley Davidson. I think we should buy a few. No, that'd be nice. The other day, I was telling my daughter, I said, I would like to have one of those cars one day. When my truck dies, I'd like to have one of those cars, right? And she's all, Dad, don't get one of those. Old people get those kind of cars, right? And I told her, I am old. <laughs> you know, but I don't know, not always, but sometimes you can tell a little bit about a person by their mode of transportation, right? And so here we see Jesus coming in on a donkey. And that tells us a few things. It really does. Number one, we're going to see today it talks about his humility. Again, look at verse 5. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, one of the things that we see here is that the Lord came on a donkey and it expresses his humility. It even expresses his poverty. I mean, one of the things that's kind of interesting is he had to borrow it. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was growing up, my parents did have a car. We would walk everywhere, whatever, take the bus, take taxis, I remember. But, um, you know, when borrowing a car, that doesn't happen too much nowadays, huh? But when you don't have a car, you got to borrow transportation. That's who Jesus was. When he taught about money, he had to borrow a coin. When it got crowded, he had to borrow a boat. When he fed the thousands, he had to borrow lunch. Think about that. When he died, he had to borrow a grave. According to the scriptures, Jesus didn't own any, any personal property except for the clothing that he had. You know, one day a guy came up to him and he said, Lord, you know, I'll follow you wherever you go. You know what Jesus said? 
Foxes have holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man, he has nowhere to rest his head. I mean, if he needed to, of course, he'd probably bundle up on a bench or rest on a rock. But that was our Lord. He comes in poverty. He comes in humility. And I think there's a message there for us, you know. I love Matthew 11. If you would, let's go there. Matthew 11, Jesus said in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. There's the same, same word, lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know. I don't want to read like overread into this. Of course, we know the context there was the Pharisees. They were putting a whole bunch of rules and regulations on the people. They were putting burdens on them that were really not of the Lord. And so, you know, the people in general, they were just, they were frustrated with the religion and the religious leaders of the day. And the Lord said, no, it's not religion. It's a relationship. You come to me and I tell you what, you're going to find rest for your souls. You know, because the Lord says, I'm gentle. That's the type of God I am. I'm, I'm lowly. I'm meek. Yeah, there is a yoke. You and I will do this together, though. And see, that's what the Lord is saying. And when he comes in on a donkey, one of the messages he communicates, and I pray, it's a, it's a weird message, but you know that God is humble. Now try to think of your life, of the humble people that you know. And I tell you what, I know some prideful people, and they're, they're kind of ugly, huh? You know, not, not a lot of you are like that, thank God. But, and, and then we know some humble people, and they're beautiful people. They're not overly critical. They're not proudful. They're not pushy. They're not overbearing. The humble people, it's beautiful when you see that. And the Lord says, I want you to see who I am as I, as I ride into to, to town on a donkey. Number one, it displays an element of humility. Number two, in looking at this, we see it also explains an element of sovereignty. Because look again at verse two. He tells them everything. You know, go into the village and this is, you're going to find a donkey tied. According to Luke 19.32, he said no one had ever ridden on it. And so he knows his geography. He knows the, the, the donkey's history. He knows the question that they're going to ask him. Hey, what's up? You're still in my, my motorcycle or whatever. You're still in my donkey. And he, he knows the words that they have to say. Well, this is all you have to say. Tell them that the Lord has need of it. And then they'll give it to you. And that's pretty impressive when you think about it, you know, because... The Lord knows your future. The Lord knows the city that you're going to. The Lord knows, you know, when we go into Cambodia, God knows that. And he knows the things that we're going to encounter and the things that we need that have already been sanctified and set apart for us. And he knows what they're going to say, you know, and that whatever it is, that confrontation that you're afraid of. And the best part about it is he knows what you're supposed to say. And isn't it cool when... The words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart, even those are commanded by Christ. And that's sovereignty. And think about it this, this sovereignty is so strong that he could take a donkey that no one's ever ridden on and he can ride it. 
Normally that wouldn't happen, huh? Because if you never broke in a horse or a donkey, you guys know how donkeys are, right? They're like us. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> They're stubborn and they'll kick and they'll get crazy. Jesus, in riding into don- town on a donkey that no one's ever ridden, he, he, in this transportation, he gives us a picture of his humility, his beautiful humility. He gives a picture of his beautiful sovereignty, so controlled. And I was telling someone earlier after second service, because everybody, you know, so many people, you guys are in the middle of some important decisions. You're in the middle of some very important decisions, right? Some of you here, you have to choose to be holy. You have to choose to stop living in sexual sin. You have to choose to stop getting drunk and stop getting high and stop looking at the pornography. You have to choose to, whatever it is, those things, those choices that we make. And I was trying to tell this person, you know, you know, the humility tells us that we don't have to be afraid to approach Jesus, but the sovereignty says we don't have to be afraid to follow Jesus. That if you make that decision to no longer live with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and you, and you move out of the house, God will provide for you, and God will bless you when you do things God's way. Because in His sovereignty, He knows your future. He knows everything. You can trust Him. And for those of you who have followed the Lord, you're a testimony. You're a testimony of what God can do when you begin to make choices that are obedient to God. See, and the Lord right here is so cool. We see this humility. We see here in the message his sovereignty, and we see the tranquility. Because um, for the Jews to ride on a donkey, it meant, it meant that, that he was coming in peace. Huh? You guys know that. You probably know that. When uh, David said, I want Solomon to be king, he didn't put him on a big old white horse stallion, right? He didn't put him in a chariot with 50 men running before him. When he wanted everybody to know that Solomon was going to be king and that he was coming in peace, David put him on on a donkey. And that's, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we celebrate the triumphal entry, As we look at the transportation, it's a message of humility, it's a message of sovereignty, and it's an offer of tranquility. A message that God says, I want to give my people peace. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you have not yielded your life to Jesus Christ, then you do not have peace with God. If you're here today and you're playing games or you're messing around or you're just going to church or, or you, know, you know that you don't know the Lord, if you were to die today and you might die today, I don't care how young or how healthy you are, you might die today, you will go to hell because God is your enemy at this point. Why? Because you've sinned against him. You've rebelled against him. And so here comes Jesus, if you can picture him coming on a donkey, he says, I want to make peace with you. I don't want you to go to hell, I want you to go to heaven. He dies on the cross, he goes in the grave, he rises again, he does all the hard work, but he demands that you submit your life to him and turn from your sin. And trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, not just in your head, but in your heart.
And when you do, it's then that you have peace with God. You guys have probably heard that saying, no Jesus, no peace. Right? No Jesus, no peace. But when you know Jesus, then, of course, you'll know peace. And so Romans, it says that we've been justified freely by His grace. Therefore, now as Christians, we have peace with God. See, so that's what happens when you become a Christian. And so if you don't know the Lord, I pray, I beg of you today, give your life to Christ. But you want to know what the, what the, what the other tragedies are? is sometimes people do become a Christian and then they don't enter into the second mode of peace. It's one thing to have the peace with God. It's another thing to have the peace of God. And my heart goes out to those sheep, those people who belong to the Lord and who are not able to lie down in green pastures who are not being led by the still waters, who find themselves freaking out and discombobulated, and they're all over the place, and they wonder whether or not God loves them, or they're just, they're just bombarded by so many things and distractions and just a lot that goes on in the world. And, and I know how it is because it's a battle. The devil doesn't want you to have peace. He doesn't. He wants to torture you with so many lies, and things that will strip you of your joy for the journey, your peace for the path. And, and, and we know that the Lord, as he comes on the donkey, he comes to offer you peace. A peace that surpasses understanding. You know, Jesus said in John 16, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Book of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And he himself is our peace. You know, some of you are probably doing pretty good. But if I could just ask you, are there any of you here today who you don't have the peace? That things have just been, you know, kind of crazy in your life. That's not what the Lord wants, man. He wants to do a great work in your hearts. And as he comes with the transportation, as he comes... You know, here in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, when 500 years before Jesus, you know, rode on this donkey, you know, it's this offer of peace. And I pray that we would know as we go through this what the transportation really tells us. Secondly, we got to see the presentation. Presentation Again, you know, look at verse uh, 6. The disciples went, did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude, they spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. Think about that. You know, they're kind of laying out the red carpet. You know, you take your nice jacket, your leather jacket, and you put it down there. You know, what an honor, right? Your cloak and the multitudes who went before and those who followed, they cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so, after all this time, after, you know, all this, you know, three, three and a half years, Jesus says, don't tell anybody. He heals the leper. Don't tell anybody. You know, he comes down from the Mount Transfiguration. Don't tell anybody. When they finally figure out who he is, Matthew chapter 16, don't tell anybody. 
Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Finally, the day comes where he not only tells everybody in one sense, he himself sets it all up. He himself prepares and plans and does everything necessary for his glorious presentation. He himself, you know, and it's interesting because the, the, the people are crying out, uh, Psalm 118, verse 26, which everybody knew was a messianic psalm. So you guys remember when Jesus was on the cross and in Psalm 22, you remember that whole story right there? He says, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What psalm did he quote from? Psalm 22, I just told you. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> Lord be with me. Anyways, <laughs> all right. So anyways, what that was, was that would then give everybody an understanding that this is, we've got to go to Psalm 22 to understand what's going on in the cross when they pierced his hands and feet and the whole thing. Now they're quoting from Psalm 118. Later the Pharisees say, hey, tell these people to be quiet. And Jesus says, listen, if they don't talk, the, the stones are going to cry out. It had to happen. So now everybody goes to Psalm 118. What's Psalm 118? It's a messianic psalm. In other words, what is Jesus finally saying on this day? When all the other days he said, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. Now he's saying to everybody, I'm the Messiah. And it's a prophecy, Zechariah 9, verse 9, Psalm 118, verse 26. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. Psalm 118 is the loudest psalm in the Bible. Where when you read it, it says, Rejoice! Rejoice! Shout! Because your King is coming! Your Savior! You know, why would we do that? Why do you guys shout? A lot of times, you know, I went to a basketball game not too long ago. Everybody was screaming when he hit a three-pointer, won the game, right? And they scream, you know, whatever it is, you know, hit the grand slam, win the game. You know, and that's cool if you want to do that. That's between you and the Lord. But I tell you what, this is the win. This is the big win over sin. And there's this presentation that is just so amazing and this right here, one other scripture, Daniel chapter 9, is prophesied in the Old Testament. And if you would, let's turn there and let's take a look at it. Because I think it's important to understand what we read in verse 24. Daniel is the key to prophecy. If you want to understand prophecy, study the book of Daniel and right here, this is the key of the key. In Daniel 9, 24 through 27, it says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. And so in verse 24, 77 are determined. And so, you know, this can refer to days, it can refer to weeks, it can refer to years. And so 77s, 77-year periods are determined for your people. Who's that? Israel. And for your holy city, what's that? Jerusalem. And here's an interesting thing. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. This is pretty amazing. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy. And here it is, to anoint the most holy. 
there would be 77-year periods. That's all he's saying, until the king is crowned. And one day we know, after the tribulation period, we know that the Lord is going to return and set up his kingdom, right? On planet earth, there in Jerusalem. It's going to be amazing. But look what happens. It says in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. And this is really interesting. This is Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1. This is simple. March 14th, 445 B.C. Real simple. And when you find the anniversary of Artaxerxes, when he goes and issues the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, it says, from that until the Messiah, that's the prince, that's Jesus, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So seven and 62 equals what? 69. It's been a while since we've done math, but we know this is simple. 69 weeks. And the street shall be built again, and the wall even in trouble sometimes. And see, the 69 weeks, when you just, real simple, March 14th, 445 B.C., 173,880 days, it takes you to April 6th, 32 A.D., the very day that Jesus presents himself to the people. The very day. And that's why the other days he said, don't tell anybody yet, don't tell anybody, don't say anything yet. But then on the day of his triumphal entry, he says, okay, go get the donkey. We're going to set this all up. And it's an amazing thing. We see what happens next. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. What does cut off mean? He's going to be killed, right? But not for himself. That's, he, doesn't, he didn't die for himself. Who did he die for? He died for us. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now the prince who is to come, you know who that is? That's the Antichrist. He's going to destroy the sanctuary. We're going to see that in a little bit. So he's going to come from the revived Roman Empire. And the end of it shall be with flood until the end of the desolations are determined. And then it says in verse 27, He, who is he speaking of? The Antichrist. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the last seven-year period. We've already gone 69. Now when Jesus came, that was a 69. Now there's a time of the Gentiles. But in the last seven years of world history, it'll be the time back of the Jews again, that last week. And he's going to make this peace treaty there. And then, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined and is poured out on the desolate. When you read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, you'll see that the Antichrist goes into the temple and the Jews are going to rebuild the temple. He's going to say that I'm God. That's halfway through the tribulation period and then boom, when what's happened is called Jacob's trouble and all hell breaks loose. And so all we're saying at this point, all I want to share with you guys is an amazing prophecy, but that first 69 weeks, it brings us back here to Matthew 21 and this is something that we come away with and that we know this you know, transportation is impressive and this presentation is even more impressive. You know, how many of you here, when you were saved, you had like an overnight radical trans, uh, transformation? Just out of curiosity. Okay, and how many of you here, it took a while, like a season? Okay, so the rest of you are not saved, right? So we got like <laughs> seven people here that raised their hands. Well, I don't know which one. You know, it's amazing for those of you who had that overnight transformation. You know, uh, we can look back, huh? Can't you guys look back and just, you know, 
God saved you, huh? You know the Lord is real, right? And all of us should know, but especially those who had that overnight transformation. That's what happens to me. I mean, I don't have a sliver, a shadow of a doubt of the power of God, of the reality of God because of what He did on my life. August 20th, 1989, when He changed my life. There's no doubt about it. But that's experience. Here's something even stronger. That is the Word of God. And for anyone to doubt whether or not Jesus Christ is really the Savior of the world, they, they definitely don't know Palm Sunday. Huh? They definitely don't know that this was the day, we're going to see even later more, the day that he had prophesied. Simple math, but it's an amazing truth. And so as they're there, and think about it, there's uh, 3 million people, because we know Josephus said there was uh, 256,000 lambs that were sacrificed that week. Uh, One lamb for every 10 people, so there's 3 million lambs. Something that's so interesting is the Sunday before the Passover, the Jews were required to pick a lamb, right? And so they would check it out, see if there's any blemishes in it, and they would select their lamb. And that's all Jesus is saying right here, is here I am. Just telling the world, and they had seen what he did. They had seen the greatest works ever done. They had heard the greatest words ever told. I mean, the people knew Right? And now it was time for them, for them to choose. And you know, they, they, you know everybody has to, to make that choice. Whether or not you're going to serve Jesus Christ, and you make that decision initially. But I think it's the decision that we're constantly making. huh? I know for me, you know, every day I have to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every single day. And it's almost like the Lord, I think, He presents Himself, and we have to choose. The people here, they were fickle. Just like a lot of the church is fickle. And, you know, they they said, okay, during the good times, we'll follow the Lord. But then during the difficult times, they didn't. And just a few days later, they said, crucify Him. Man, I pray your profession and your commitment to Jesus Christ would be infinitely deeper than that. Because we see who he is by his transportation. We see who he is by his presentation. And then the last one is this. We see who he is by his lamentation. And if you would, go over to Luke chapter 19. Look at verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, and they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these would keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city, and and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this, notice your day. It says your day. I highlighted that in my Bible, because that's, what we're talking about, the day, your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. You know, something that's kind of scary is this, you guys. Let's just say you're here today and you're not really a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And you say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. 
But the Lord is speaking to you today. You know what? God is speaking to you. And if you harden your heart, and you harden your heart, you know what? You might be blinded. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that he's going to send them a blindness. What had happened is they rejected him, and then it was too late. And so what ends up happening? It says right there, they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you. Think about that. And your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. I mean, here we are today and God is visiting you. And you may not, you know, I don't, it doesn't look like God. This is kind of a funny building or whatever it might be. But you know in your heart that God is visiting you, that God is speaking to you. What are you going to do? See, for the Jews, you know, they, they didn't respond. And so the Lord, he wept over the city. He wept. Why did he weep? Two reasons. Number one, because he's a holy God. And number two, because he's a caring God. As a holy God, he has to judge sin. You know, people wonder, well, I don't get it. Why doesn't God just, you know, let it, let it be, man? You know, why can't God just, you know, I haven't been that bad. I haven't killed anybody. Why can't I go to heaven? Because he's a holy, holy, holy God. And not one sin can live in his presence. And so the Jews rejected him. He had to judge them. And so what ended up happening? 70 AD, the Lord saw it as if it was today. He saw it. This is what would happen. Think about this. The Roman army would come, led by their general Titus. They would surround Jerusalem for 143 days. No one would go in. No one would go out. Starve the city. The people literally ate their own children. And then, when the walls finally had been breached... 1.1 million people died. See, the Lord saw that, and he wept. And he wept. Because he's a holy God, but he's also a caring God. You know, when was the last time you wept over someone? Seriously. When was the last time you were brought to tears for people who are going to hell? I tell you what, that's who God is. And, in, and that's why I like, I like just reading about the Lord. We can't be an anthropocentric people. Well, it's all about me, and I'm looking at myself, and I'm you know, straightening out my whatever it is, dotting my eyes, crossing my T's, my performance. And, and you know, cool, there's a place for self-examination, but don't let it replace concentration on Christ. Because when you're reading the Gospels or reading the Bible, don't just look for the things you have to do without first seeing what he's done, who he is. Look at our God. This is a God that would take such a mode of transportation. This God who would, you know, in prophecy, etch out his presentation. This God who would weep in lamentation over the law. 
they say you can tell a lot about a, a person um, by what makes them laugh, what makes them angry, and what makes them cry. Our God cries because He loves us so much. And He sent His Son to die for us on that cross. And I pray that we as a church, um, we would have the same heart. Because God wants to do a work in us. And I know, I'll tell you what, in my life, it's just so easy to get distracted with petty things. And we miss the, the, main, the main issues, the main points in life. And so I pray that in, in looking at the Lord, um, that he would, he, would, he would meddle with the middle. He would deal with our hearts. What, what's going on in your life? Okay. And then I mentioned anger earlier, how Pastor Chuck struggled with anger. And uh, finally God gave him the strength to overcome it. You know, and it's kind of funny because a lot of people struggle with anger. Huh? You know, some of these really nice little ladies right here, ooh, man. Some of these guys, you think, oh, they're so humble. Yeah, man, get them mad. You watch what happens, man. <laughs> Anger is a real common thing. Um, you know, you name it, gossip, bitterness, unforgiveness, neglect. I mean, there's just so many things. But what ends up happening is the Lord begins to work on our life. And a lot of times, I think that the way that we overcome is we just we just really get our eyes back on the Lord and we and we follow him. Uh, I want to encourage you guys this week and I have to be really careful with this but I'm just going to put it out there between you and the Lord as we enter into this week and we move towards Good Friday and 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 you know Resurrection Sunday if possible if there's some physical you know ability I want to encourage you guys to maybe spend some time fasting this week. Not fasting, you know, to lose weight, um, but fasting to draw near to God. And maybe it'll be breakfast, maybe it'll be breakfast and lunch, maybe it'll be breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> Have you ever gone a whole day without eating? Ever done that? If you want God to do a work in your life, some of you can. I know some of you probably can't, but get a friend. And this is what helps me. I get a friend and I say, hey, tell you what, let's fast. Let's seek the Lord together. And if it wasn't for me knowing that my friend was fasting, I tell you what, I'd, I'd run and I'd get me a quarter pounder like that, man. But when I know that I have a friend who's kind of keeping me accountable and we're praying together and we're working on this together, it, it just helps me. It, and when you say no to yourself, it increases your spiritual senses. And what ends up happening, you guys, is uh, there's power like never before because I was talking to this one guy. And, you know, we do this all the time. He's having struggles and he keeps bumping his head against the same wall. Boom, same thing, same thing, doing over and over and over again. And it's been a long time now. It's like the Jews, you know, wandering 40 years in the wilderness. Same thing, same thing, same thing. Is that what God wants? No. Oh, but I've tried everything I can. You have? Have you fasted? Have you really fasted? Seek the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. 
I pray that you would. And you watch what God does. So amazing, man, because our God really is an awesome God. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Please, I beg of you, humble yourself and receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. Father, we thank you for your word communicating to us on that Palm Sunday, that triumphal entry through the transportation and the presentation, even the lamentation. And Lord God, I ask for forgiveness because I know there are a lot of times in my life where I get my eyes on, on myself only and I get distressed. Or I get my eyes on the world and my circumstances and others and I get oppressed. Lord, I pray by your grace you help me to get my eyes on you. I need to be blessed. We do, Lord. I pray for your church. I pray for your church to have rest, to have peace, to be able to lie down in green pastures, to be led by the still waters, to know that the Lord is their shepherd who gave his life. For the sheep, Lord. And I pray, Father, if there are any here today who don't know you, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Be with us, Lord, this week. And Lord, even in the deepest parts of our hearts, don't let it be superficial. I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.